Hello and welcome, everyone. Please settle down. Tonight kicks off our annual bonfire here at Camp Crystal Cove. I will be your head counselor, Gray. As the fire begins to calm, we're now ready to kick things off right. Beginning with our late night scary stories tradition. Now, our first story is one that I'm sure you've heard before, told many different ways. But if you haven't, <laughs> you're in for a real treat. Our first story for the evening covers one that we're all familiar with. When driving down the road, sometimes you get an impatient driver. Someone that gets up on your tail when there's no one else around. And occasionally, you'll get a real jerk that will flash their high beams. But this is always because they're a jerk, right? Well, you might want to rethink that as the main character in our story discovers the terrifying truth behind the high beams. Emily pulled out of the gas station and finally merged onto the deserted two-lane highway. The cashier had been super weird, but she chalked it up to having to work the night shift. It would have probably made her a little batty too, and out here, there really wasn't a lot going on. Besides, he probably saw all sorts. She glanced at the clock inside. It was super late, but she'd been enjoying her friend's get-together and realized it had been so long since she'd seen any of them. Not more than a handful of seconds later, a large truck came into her view. It didn't slow until it was less than a car's length from her bumper. There wasn't another soul on the road. So, she assumed that the truck wanted to just go around. Emily maintained her speed and waited for the truck to pass, but it didn't. After several uncomfortable moments, she accelerated a little, but the truck again matched her speed. Then suddenly, the truck begins to flash its high beams. Feeling a little unsettled, she took her foot off the accelerator, hoping that the driver would get annoyed and just pass. Still, the driver would not go around. Emily stared into the rearview mirror, trying to see if maybe she knew the person, but the lights were so bright, she couldn't see. Making a split decision, she slammed on the gas, pushing the little Toyota to its limit. But no matter Emily's speed, the truck was always right behind her. Now in full-blown panic, she exited the highway and turned right instead of left toward her home, running several red lights, hoping to run across a police officer. But it was so late, even the police were nowhere to be found. No matter how many streets she turned down, the truck stayed right behind her, flashing its high beams every few moments. 
Terrified, she finally decided to drive home with the truck right on her tail. Hopefully, she could get inside and call the police. If only she could reach her cell phone. Emily barely made it into her driveway when the truck roared up behind her and the driver's side door opened. She leapt out of her car and tried to run to her front door, but the truck driver was holding a gun. Emily screamed in terror as he pointed the gun in her direction and then fired. Seconds went by and she blinked a few times, realizing that she hadn't been shot. She heard the driver walking toward her and stared at his face in confusion. He was saying something to her, but she couldn't make sense of what he was saying. He gestured toward the ground, and finally her eyes followed to where he was pointing. Her backseat door was open, and a man was laying in a pool of blood, clutched in his lifeless hand was a long, black-handled kitchen knife. The shaken truck driver explained that he noticed the man in the back seat of her car at the gas station. He had been trying to signal her every time the murderer would raise his knife to stab her. He would flash his high beams. Maybe... That's a lesson for all of us. Perhaps if someone is flashing their high beams but not going around, you might want to check your back seat. In our next story, we learn that some secrets between couples are better left unsaid. This urban legend is known as the Yellow Ribbon. Many of the neighbors talked about why Abigail wore a yellow ribbon around her neck every day. She was an odd girl, but very beautiful. So everyone forgave her small quirk, deciding that it must have just meant a lot to her. But she didn't just wear it when she went out. She wore it every single day, all day, no matter what she was doing. And I mean every day, rain or shine, whether it matched her outfit or not. One of the neighborhood boys, John, had always wondered about it, yet he looked past it and befriended the girl. He had been young after all and had barely noticed it and most of the time outright ignored the yellow ribbon. He had mentioned it the first few times they played together, but she would never answer his questions and would get up and leave if he pressed the issue. John went through the years, never asking again, but finally, curiosity got the better of him, and when they got into high school, it really started to bother him. Abigail was almost a woman. Why? Was she wearing such a childish thing, and why did she never take it off? Finally, unable to stand it, he stopped Abigail in the hall one day and asked, Why do you wear that yellow ribbon around your neck? 
She stared at him, but would not answer his question. John asked every single day, but she would never answer. Still, in spite of this odd behavior, John thought she was cute, so he asked her out to dinner and was surprised when she said yes. Then he started asking her to come to his football games and offered to drive her home. They had been together for nearly a year now, and come spring, he asked her to the dance. Abigail always said yes without hesitation when he asked her out. She even cracked a joke when they arrived at the dance, showing off her yellow dress that perfectly matched her yellow ribbon. She refused to remove her yellow ribbon, but John was still willing to look past it since she was so beautiful. Abigail had become a stunning young woman with long, dark hair and wide, innocent eyes the color of emeralds. It finally occurred to John one day that he and Abigail had been together for a while now and he still didn't know why she wore the yellow ribbon. So one night, when he was driving her home, he yet again asked her about the ribbon, and yet again, she did not tell him. But this time, Abigail did speak to him. Maybe someday, she offered somberly. I'll tell you about it. He respected her wishes, but with each passing year, he became more and more agitated about it. After finishing college, John proposed to Abigail and was immediately accepted. They planned a big wedding, and Abigail hinted that she might tell him about the yellow ribbon around her neck. But somehow, with the preparations, his beautiful bride, and the lovely reception, John never got around to asking Abigail about it. Then one day, as Abigail was setting the table, John glanced at her exposed neck and remembered her promise a few years ago. She frowned as he asked her softly over the candlelit table. The silence stretched between them, and finally, teary-eyed, Abigail said, We're so happy together. What difference does it make? And seeing how upset she had become, John decided she was right. Years went by as John and Abigail raised a family together. It was full of ups and downs, laughter and tears. And then finally, their golden anniversary rolled around. John once again asked, Abigail about the yellow ribbon around her neck. It was the first time he'd brought it up since the candle at dinner all those years ago. Whenever their children asked him about it, he'd always hush them. And somehow, none of the children dared to ask their mother. But even still, Abigail only gave John a sad look and said, John, You've waited this long. You can wait a little longer. And John agreed. It was not until Abigail was on her deathbed, less than a year later, that John 
seeing his last chance slip away, asked Abigail one final time about the yellow ribbon she wore around her neck. She shook her head a bit at his persistence, and then said with a sad smile, Okay, John, you can go ahead and untie it now. With shaking hands, John fumbled for the knot and untied the ribbon around his wife's neck. To his absolute horror, as soon as the ribbon fell from her neck, Abigail's head tumbled from her body. Trains really are comforting. The sound of the train moving over the tracks as you drift away into a peaceful slumber. But in this tale, it is anything but comforting, especially as the conductor discovers the ghost on the track. That fateful night of 1929 found conductor Roy Brown and 30 passengers traveling from New York to Washington, D.C. in horrible conditions. Roy had advised a manager earlier that it may be wise to wait until the fog cleared the next morning, but the manager dismissed him and told him they had a schedule to keep. Just drive slow, boy. You'll be fine. The day had been wet and gloomy, and a mist was said to have swept in from the east on that cold autumn day. The moon was full looking over New York City, but still, Roy was uneasy about the visibility on the tracks. Something just wasn't sitting right with him. He'd seen these sorts of things before, coming up through the South, and knew it could last for quite some time. But still, he listened to his manager, and after several moments, the train soon left the station behind, entering the bleak, misty night. They were halfway through their journey, when the conductor spotted an old man crossing the tracks. He held a lantern, waving it back and forth, back and forth. Panicking, Roy pulled the brakes, trying desperately to bring the train to a halt. But it was too late, and the old man was tragically killed on the tracks. His stomach full of dread, Roy stepped out onto the tracks and searched for the old man's body. Confused that he couldn't find anything, he turned back to the train and stopped dead in his tracks. Standing there was a headless body, still waving that lantern. Terrified, the conductor fell to the ground, his eyes wide with fear. Roy shook with fright 
and squeezed his eyes shut, praying that it was all just in his mind. Well, maybe the fog and lights were playing a trick on him. When nothing happened, he opened his eyes and nearly cried in relief. The ghastly apparition had disappeared. Well, old Roy, shaken to his core, stood on two wobbly legs and made his way back to the train and its now confused passengers. But no sooner had he climbed back into that train, a horrible rumble sounded not twenty feet from the train, and as that dust cleared, Roy's eyes widened at the collapsed rock spilling from the entrance of that tunnel. Had they gone through everyone aboard that train that night would have perished. We all have some sort of irrational fear, maybe enclosed spaces, boogeymen, fear of heights, but the most common one across the board is the fear of spiders. These creepy crawlies have resided in nightmares for quite some time. You may not fear them, and even suggest that they are great to have around and keep the bug population in check. However, you may want to rethink that sentiment as we creep into our final tale, The Spider Bite. The campgrounds were alive with the singing of crickets and soft call of the owls as Melanie quickly made her way back to the cabin. She burst through the door and held a jar up to her roomies. Look what I found! I can add it to my bug scavenger hunt! The girls turned all at once, a look of dread coming over them. Ew, gross, Mel, you are not keeping that in here. No freaking way. Melanie pouted and tilted the jar toward Hannah. Oh, come on, look at him. He's a little fuzzy boy, and I won't keep him for long, I promise. I just want to cherish my final find and snap a few quick pics for tomorrow. I'll put him back in the morning, okay? Hannah cursed and jumped back. I swear to God, Mel, if that thing gets out and bites one of us, I will never forgive you. Melanie giggled and shook her head. <laughs> Hannah, if he gets out, he's going to find the nearest exit or corner to hide. You're probably freaking him out more than anything right now. She walked over to her nightstand and set the jar down on top. She's probably right, Hannah. Unfortunately, Jan chimed in. But you know she won't give in. Hannah sighed in frustration. Ugh, fine. But would someone please trade spots with me? I refuse 
to sleep next to that thing. Jan rolled her eyes and scooped up her pillow and bag. Melanie turned to face her. Seriously, Hannah? You're such a baby! Hannah's face turned red, but she snatched up her things and switched over to Jan's old bed. From the bed in the back, their other roommate, April, called. Did she bring another gross thing into our living space? Jan sighed and answered. Yep. And it's her final one for the prize tomorrow, so you know she's going to gloat. April groaned and plopped down on her bed. Whatever. As long as she keeps it over there and I can sleep. They all grumbled, but turned out the light. The next morning, Melanie crawled out of bed and reached for the jar. She stared at it in confusion, tilting it upside down. The spider had disappeared. She stomped over angrily to Hannah and threw back the covers. What the hell, Hannah? You knew I was going to take a picture in the morning light. Those spiders look the best when the light passes through their body. Hannah shot up and threw back her cover, searching the area. Melanie's anger switched to confusion. What the crap are you doing? Seriously? Why did you do it? Hannah spun angrily toward Melanie. What the literal hell are you talking about? I didn't touch your stupid bug. Seriously? I'm terrified of spiders. Why would I go anywhere near it, Mel? Jan groaned, rolling out of bed. Seriously, guys, it's 5.30? Can we just not today? We've got to go on a long hike this morning. Mel, it probably just got out somewhere. Just chill, you guys. You'll get tons of pics from last night, right? Melanie huffed and stalked outside. She walked several feet from the cabin and opened the jar, hoping that maybe it was just clinging to the lid. But it was gone. She growled in frustration and threw the jar into the woods. Several hours later after their long hike, they all returned and started the fire for lunch. Man, that was great, April gushed. I haven't seen that many beautiful views in a while. Jan looked at her in mock anger. Uh, what are you talking about? Have you seen me? I mean, look at me, ladies. I'm a snack. The girls burst out into a fit of giggles, all of them laughing. Well, except for Melanie. She was turned toward the woods, her back facing everyone. Jan frowned and walked over to her friend. Come on, Mel. It's not that big of a deal. Seriously, just forget about it and let's have fun. They're doing the prizes in a few hours. That's going to be awesome, yeah? Melanie didn't respond. Her hand cradled her face. Realizing that something else was going on here, Jan tapped Melanie's shoulder. Hey girl, is everything alright? At this point, 
everyone turned toward Melanie, concerned. Melanie shook her head and turned toward the group. No, guys, my cheek really hurts. I think I got bit. Hannah started laughing so hard she was holding her sides and wheezing before the words came out. you right, idiot. I warned you. Hannah, Jan warned. Not now. Hannah got quiet, but covered her mouth, trying to stifle more laughter. She quieted, though, when Melanie removed her hand. The girls gasped. Oh my god, Mel, April said. You need to go to the doctor. That thing is super angry looking. Melanie nodded. It really started to get bad a little bit ago. I was just too embarrassed to show you guys. But I think you're right. It feels pretty bad. They took Melanie to the camp staff and she was treated for the spider bite. Don't worry, the nurse had reassured. It will come to a head in the next day or so and the swelling should go down after tonight. Now, despite the temptation, don't pop it, okay? It's going to look like a gnarly, greenish-yellow-white head, but just trust me when I tell you to let your body do its thing. For now, I suggest you get some rest. The girls offered to stay with Melanie, but in the end, she shooed them away and pulled the covers over herself. She was feeling super tired and just wanted to close her eyes. She slept the entire day and then the entire night away. Her face continued to hurt all night and it started itching like crazy, but she did what the doctor told her and didn't touch the gauze on her face. The next morning, her face was on fire. It hurt so bad that she yelped in pain trying to change the bandage and clean her wound. Melanie gasped as she removed the bandage and saw her cheek. It wasn't just gnarly. It was now the size of a golf ball, and the head on it was nearly the size of a grape. She wanted to stab it with a needle and get all of the grossness out of her body. But she quickly cleaned the wound and placed more gauze over the unsightly thing. She barely managed to do that before she again felt exhausted. She collapsed back into bed and fell into a fitful slumber. The girls were reluctant to leave her again, but promised they would periodically check in on her throughout the day. But she again slept all day and throughout the night. Finally, the next morning, Jan had had enough. Mel, get up. We're taking you to the hospital. You shouldn't be this exhausted from a frickin' spider bite. Something is definitely wrong. Jan frowned when Melanie didn't move. The girls cast uneasy looks at one another. Mel? Hannah called. Hey, Mel? 
get up. At this point, all the girls rushed over to her and tossed back the blankets. The room fell into a deathly silence as the girls stared down at Melanie's lifeless body. Her eyes had taken on a marble quality fixed upward at the ceiling. Jan covered her mouth, shaking her head. Oh my God. Oh my God, Hannah whispered. April backed away and then made a beeline for the bathroom. They heard her wretch several times, crying between vomiting. Not a word was said between the two of them as they both stared helplessly at their friend's body. They nearly jumped out of their skin when Melanie twitched. Mel? She called softly. Mel, are you still alive? A gurgle escaped from Melanie's mouth, and the gauze moved on her cheek. Hannah gasped. Oh my god, April! April! Melanie's alive! April burst from the bathroom and bolted across the room. Oh, thank God, she whispered, tears streaming down her face. Jan tossed her phone over to Hannah. Call emergency services first, and then alert the camp. Tell emergency services the victim is suffering from a spider bite. They should have EpiPens or adrenaline that may help. Hannah nodded and quickly dialed the numbers. April sat at the foot of the bed and sobbed as Jan held Melanie's hand. Her voice came out soothing. Shh. Don't worry. Help is coming, Mel's. Melanie drew in ragged breaths. The only sound to escape her were whimpers and a sickly gargle. After several moments, however, that began to change into a hoarse scream. Her hand shot up to the gauze as she tore at it, trying to rip it from her face. Jan quickly pulled her friend's hand away and shook her head. No, don't. We don't know what it will do if you move it. It could burst and become infected. Do you want that? I know it's hard, but just leave it in pl- her words caught in her throat as she stared in a horrified silence. The gauze wriggled on Melanie's face. Without thinking, she dropped Melanie's hand in shock. What the hell? April peered around Jan's shoulder, curious to see what she was looking at. Melanie dug at the bandage, desperate to rip it off. Jan suddenly stood and backed away. Oh my fucking god! April now stood too, alarmed at her friend's behavior. Hannah walked up to them. Hey, they said someone should be here in about 15 minutes. We lucked out, you guys. One of the EMTs wasn't too far from us eating lunch in town. When no one responded, Hannah tapped Jan's shoulders. Hey, did you hear me? The camp is sending first aid. They should be here within minutes as well. Hello? Anyone? What the hell are you two looking at? Hannah stepped around April and focused her attention on the bed. Her hand shot up to her face, and she screamed. 
The other girls joined in, staring at the gruesome scene in front of them. Melanie's own scream came out as something long and spindly poked through the skin of her flaming, raw flesh. She thrashed on the bed, clawing and digging at her face. April and Hannah whimpered and slowly backed away. Jesus Christ, Jan said, snapping herself out of it. What the hell is that thing? She rushed over to her friend's side, unsure of what to do. Melanie's eyes were wild, her fingers covered in blood and green gunk. Her face oozed as the dark creature finally freed itself from the now gaping wound. A black fuzzy spider emerged and calmly climbed down the length of Melanie's arm, off of the bed, and onto the floor. April screamed and fled in terror, Hannah less than a second behind her. The spider leaped at Jan, and she smacked it midair to the ground. It fell with a solid clunk on the floor, and without hesitation, Jan crushed it beneath her shoe. She pulled it away and was relieved to find nothing more than the remnants of guts and legs. She rushed back to her friend's side. I'm going to get some antiseptic and gauze, okay? I'll be right back. Melanie nodded weakly as Jan quickly left the room. She fumbled through the medicine cabinet when Melanie shrieked in terror. Jan booked it to Melanie's bed and froze, dropping all of the medicine on the ground. All she could do was stand helplessly and stare at her friend. Hundreds of baby spiders crawled from the hole in Melanie's face as she continued to writhe and scream in terror. Now tell me, dear campers... What do you all think of spiders now? Maybe you should think twice before playing nice with nature because it won't do the same for you. Speaking of which, it's time to head back to all of your cabins. We hope that you've enjoyed this year's Campfire Tales at Camp Crystal Cove, and offer our sincerest apologies for any nightmares we may have caused this evening. And for our newest campers, stick to the trails on your way back. You never know what monsters lurk just beyond the lighted path. Pleasant dreams, everyone.